Well, good morning to you again. You get a lot of me today. Apologize for that. So, uh, Pastor Matt is on vacation. He's been on vacation for the past week in Florida, um, having a great, great time. This is not the Disney World vacation that you often see from he and his family. This is a beach vacation where they just sat on the sand and he read books. And it was glorious for him, from what I understand, and for the entire family. And so he'll be back in the office tomorrow, uh, but uh, they've had a, a great vacation. Um, and then uh, this morning I got a text, I was in the 8 o'clock service, and I got a text that Matt Garrison, who was scheduled to do announcements today, is sick and couldn't make it. And so I was sitting in the 8 o'clock service and said, okay. I got to do announcements in the next service. So I'm like, they're going to hear a lot of my voice this morning. Um, because also, uh, Pastor Lee Walker was scheduled to preach this morning. And so for many of you who know Lee, know him well and love him well, uh, he's been struggling through some medical things and was hoping, he was hoping to, to be ready to go this morning. And he texted me yesterday and said, I just, I'm not going to be able to make it. Uh, today, so continue to pray for Lee. Um, he is he is getting better, slowly getting better, uh, but just not there yet for this type of thing. And so continue to pray for him. So I'm excited to be able to share with you this morning. Uh, we've been in a series called the Summer in the Psalms, where we've been looking at uh, different psalms and how they inform our prayer life. It's been one of my favorite series. I think of my adult life. I've really, really enjoyed this series. Hopefully it's been helpful to you. Hopefully it's been informative to you. Hopefully you've seen some of the language of the Psalms start to seep in to your prayers. They, it brings some language in many cases where we have none. Uh, it provides us words to say and thoughts to say. And so hopefully that's been helpful to you as you've been praying as we've gone through this summer. So after Emily and I got married, which we got married in the perfect year to get married, the year 2000, and all you dudes out there are going, yeah, that's good, that's good, because I know how long we've been married, because all I got to do is the last two numbers of, of the date, and I'm good. So it'll be 18 years in December that we've been married. We got married, and shortly thereafter, we moved to South Florida. Uh, there really wasn't a whole lot of reason why we moved to South Florida other than as a kid growing up in West Virginia, I always had an infatuation with Florida and thought, hey, I want to live someplace where the sun always shines someday in my life. And so we got married. We didn't have a whole lot of stuff. We had no kids. We had no jobs. And so what do you do with that? You move where the sun always shines. And so we moved to South Florida. And so I started teaching at a Christian school there. Had two, fr two friends who I went to, to school with at ABC who were teaching at that same school. And so literally just called them one day and said, do they have jobs there that are available? And they said, yes, come on down. So we moved down. Uh, so we lived in South Florida for about 10 years in Fort Myers. And um, all three of my girls were born in, South, in Fort Myers at the same hospital. Uh, we started our life there. It kind of is the beginning of our life. We had some stuff that happened before then and some different things, but South Florida really felt like, okay, this is the beginning 
of our life together as a couple, as a family. First house, first real job, you know, all that kind of stuff. We bought our first car when we lived there. All the, all the things that are kind of, we are beginning life together. All that happened in Fort Myers. So when we moved to California, uh, my in-laws had moved to South Florida as well while we lived there. They were on the mission field in Argentina and they came back to, to Florida to take care of my father-in-law's mother. And so they were living in South Florida. And so we, we moved to California. We did what every other Californian would do on vacation. And that was go to Florida. And I really didn't understand that. And I would ask people, why are you leaving California to go to Florida? Because California like, is all the good things of Florida and none of the bad. So no humidity, no fire ants, no snakes to speak of that eat you while you're sleeping, no alligators, none of that exists in California. But for some reason, people in California would go to Florida for vacation. So we did the same thing because we had family there. That was our excuse. So we would go to visit the in-laws. And so a couple years ago, uh, my youngest daughter was five. Uh, and so we went over Christmas, Christmas break from California to Florida and the whole family ended up there. We spent Christmas break there in South Florida, doing what you do over Christmas break, sit and watch football and eat lots of food. Um, it's just great for you. Uh, but they have a pool on the back of their house. And so my youngest daughter was learning how to swim. And so it was just a really, really good time together in Florida. This was, I think she was five. Uh, she's eight now. So one of the days that we were there, we were standing in the back room, just, just Abigail and I were standing in the back room and this is the room we were standing in. There's a bunk bed in there, and it's a full bed on the bottom and a twin bed on top. Have you seen those where they, they kind of have a full bed coming out this way, and then the twin bed goes across? It's kind of like a loft bed. So that was what we were sleeping on, and we were standing there doing something. I don't know what, and she had something in her hand, and I don't remember what it was, but she dropped it, and it rolled underneath the bed on the bottom. So this is, she's five, and this is a full-size bed, so that's it's kind of big for a five-year-old. And so she starts crawling underneath the bed to find this thing that had rolled underneath the bed. And she can't find it. She can't find it. And she's getting a little deeper back in there. And so dad instincts kick in, you know, and I get down on my hands and knees and I reach out and I grab her ankle, you know, like she's going to go off the edge of a cliff or something while she's under this bed. And she's, she's crawling a little further back. And, and the way the bed is built, you can't really get in from the sides because it's got those railings on each side where the twin bed is. So you got to go in from the end. And she's crawling back further and further and further, trying to find this thing. And I'm reaching. And now my face is, sorry, wrong side, face is planted up against the, the bed, you know. And so I'm like, it's awkward angle holding on to her ankle. And eventually she gets out of my reach and I don't have her ankle anymore. She's all the way underneath the bed. And I hear a little voice and I'm still down there and I can't see her anymore because my face is up against the mattress and, and I'm reaching underneath, trying to feel for her leg. And, and she says, Daddy, I found it. Still don't know what it was, but she found it, which is good news. And I said, oh, that's great, Abigail. Can you, can you see me? Because I can't feel her anymore. She's under there in the darkness with the monsters and all that stuff. And she says something that I'll never forget. Out of the mouth of kids, right? She says, Daddy, I can't see your face, but I can see your hand. I can't see your face but I can see your hand. Psalm 103 is David proclaiming to the world 
Daddy, I can't see your face, but I can see your hand. And it results in praise. Praise. So we're in Psalm 103 this morning. If you want to take your Bibles or your apps and go to Psalm 103, we'll read that in just a moment. Louis Giglio, in his book, The Air I Breathe, has defined worship as our response, both personal and corporate, to who God is and what he has done. Our response, both personal and corporate, to who God is and what he has done. Psalm 103 is David's response to who God is and what he has done. Let's read it together. Would you stand as we read this beautiful psalm together? Verse 1 of Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with the love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The choir is going to sing for us now. Psalm 103.
Amen. Thank you, choir, very much. There are three things that we see in this psalm as we work through the words of God through David. The first thing is that God is the God of me. God is the God of me. God is a personal God. He's a God that cares about us individually. He's my God. And he's your God individually. And as David starts out this psalm, he recognizes that God is his God, a personal God. Verses one through six really share those words with us. David says this, praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He cares about us individually. He cares about what we go through. There's a phrase in there in verse four. It redeems our life from the pit and crowns us with love and compassion. This word love is a really descriptive word of what God thinks of, feels for, and works toward with us. It's a Hebrew word, chaste, C-H-E-S-E-D. Chaste, if you have a margin in your Bible or on your notes, you want to write that down. This word chaste, C-H-E-S-E-D, is the word there for love. It's an interesting word. It's used 245 times in the Old Testament. 245 times in the entire Old Testament, this word chaste, C-H-E-S-E-D, is used. 127 of those times take place in the Psalms. And this is one of those occasions where the English language doesn't really have a word that gets all the way there. And so it's translated different ways in those 245 times that it's used. Sometimes it's translated steadfast love. So we take love and we add the word steadfast to it to try to get in the realm of what this is trying to convey, chaste. Sometimes it's translated faithfulness. Other times loyalty or mercy or kindness in those 245 times that is used. All of it conveys the fact that God truly loves me. That God truly loves you. With a steadfast love, with a faithfulness, with mercy, with kindness, that is all true of how God feels about you and me. That's a hard thing. You see, there are days where I don't really love me. And I'm sure you can relate. But God truly 
loves you. That's unique. It doesn't come with strings attached. It doesn't come with expectations of what you have to do or what you have to bring to be a part of that love. He just loves you. God chased you. He loves you. And so David at the beginning of this psalm is saying, part of what you need to understand is that God loves you. It's not just a passing fancy or a like. He loves you and will love you steadfastly, faithfully. He delights in loving you. You matter because you matter to God. Your story matters because your story matters to God. God cares about you. And so as we pray psalms of praise, it's important for us to pray that, God, you love me. No matter how I feel right now, no matter what I've done, no matter what I'm bringing in this moment, God, you Love me. And that hasn't changed. You love me steadfastly, faithfully. You love me. It reminds me of what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 about how God thinks of us. Verse 4 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. With Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God loves you. God cares about you. God is kind to you. He's faithful to you. The second thing that we see here is God is the God of others. So God is the God of me. It's a personal God who cares about us individually, but God is the God of others. God is a collective God who cares about all people. So not only is it true that he loves us individually, but it's also true that he loves us collectively. He loves us all. Verse eight, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. 
when we read those words, just like when we read the word love, it sometimes doesn't translate to us and it doesn't hit us the way that it really should hit us when we see that God loves us. We also, when we read these words, like God has removed our transgressions from us. As far as the East is from the West, we can just so easily read over that. Why is that? Because deep down, most of us think that we are relatively good people. You walk up to someone on the street in society today and you ask them, are people mostly good or mostly bad? And you'll most likely get the answer that, yeah, people are mostly good and they do some bad stuff here and there. And that's kind of the image that we have of ourself. I'm mostly a good person and every now and then I mess up or I do something that I shouldn't have. You see, most of our problem isn't that we have too heavy a view of sin. So we have too light a view of sin. We don't understand truly the ramifications of sin in our life. Theologically, we can get there. We can talk about it. Theologically, we can say, you know, sin is is responsible for breaking our relationship with God and breaking our relationship with each other and breaking our relationship with the world. We can theologically answer that question and we can talk about it intelligently. And we can use the Sunday school answers that I even was taught here at Bible Center, which are good and they're helpful, that sin is to miss the mark. But most of us, when we talk about sin, missing the mark, we we think I'm just a little to the side. You know, if this is the mark, then I'm, I'm, I'm right in here. And if I do some things, if I work hard, then I can, I can correct that and I can hit the mark a little bit more. And then every now and then I'll, I'm off to the side again. And that approach allows us to wade into other people's lives and judge them for their sin because we don't see our sin as a major problem. And so I can post something on social media condemning somebody or I can have a conversation that says what you're doing is wrong or terrible because I'm not really in touch with my own sin. Because I see it as just a little bit off. Not a lot, just a little bit because I'm mostly good. The problem with that way of thinking is that the mark that we've missed is holiness. It's holiness. And so sometimes we get to the end of the day and we we sit down when when we think about it and when we spend some time in prayer and maybe we actually confess some things before the Lord at the end of the day and we sit down and we think about those times where we may have done something wrong during the day and we start to, to analyze some things. You know, that moment I, I was a little bit angry. I don't know that I really crossed the line. You know, if the, if the mark is here, I was just a little bit angry. You know, they cut me off though in traffic and God understands that. And, and here I was, I was, you know, my kids' rooms are, they're just a mess and God understands that. And so that wasn't real bad. You know, I know I said some things I shouldn't have, but eh, it's 
it's okay, but and that one I, I lied, and that definitely is wrong, and I, I shouldn't do that. And so, God, I'm, I am so sorry that I lied. Does it sound like a conversation you've had with yourself? Maybe I'm the only one. If we truly understood the magnitude of sin, we would come to the end of the day and instead of looking at those moments where we feel like we might have been just a little bit wrong, we would be asking ourselves, when was I holy today? Because that is the mark. And when we start to evaluate our life based on that instead of my list of what I consider right and what I consider wrong, but I really look into the face of a holy God, then I read words like my sin has been moved as far as the east is from the west and I realize that my sin cost God everything. It cost him his son on the cross. That's how big my sin is. Because not only does God love you, but God is also just. And the two coexist. And so in order for us to know God, Jesus had to die. And so God sacrificed his only son on the cross because his justice is so great and his love is so great. That's how much you matter. That's how much your story matters. But that's how big your sin is. And so when we read these words, we should erupt in praise because God has taken care of it for us. And so David is saying, look at the benefits of our God. God is the God of others. The third one, God is the God of all. God is the God who is over all things. God's the God who's over all things. Verses 19 through 22 says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. The band's gonna rejoin us and we're gonna do that. We're gonna praise the Lord before we finish the message out this morning. But what we have hope in is that this God who is over all is also good. So this God who has control, who has dominion, who has sovereignty over all, not just us, but all over the entire universe and the heavenly realms, he's not only in control of all that, but he is also good. He's good. And he's working to restore, to redeem, and to reconcile all things to himself. He's a God who is worthy of our praise. So let's do that. Let's stand and let's praise him. Strength will rise. 
strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the our God. You reign forever. Our hope, our strong
You know, at the heart of worship, to me, is trust. Trust is an interesting concept. It takes a long time to earn it, a moment to lose it. For many of us, for some reason, trust in God is hard. We read these words, like these words in Psalm 103, but we walk away and we still struggle to trust. Trust means we have to lay down some of our opinions, ideals, thoughts, values, beliefs, and we have to realign to God. We may have to change a lifestyle or give up a relationship because God has said that's wrong or that's bad for us. Trusting is easy when it doesn't challenge anything that I'm doing or thinking. Trust is easy when I'm left alone to do whatever I want. Trust is much harder when I actually have to move or change in order to be in alignment. We want to say, God, I trust you, but I'm going to live my life the way I think I should from my extremely limited perspective. Because this is different, or you don't understand, or there's no way you could mean that or want that. Trust actually happens when we don't have perspective, when we don't necessarily understand and when we can't see everything clearly. When we make a move, when that is true, then we exhibit trust. Trust in God that leads to worship of God contains a willing submission to his word. His ways are higher, his ways are greater, and my willing submission to those ways is worship built on trust. Trust is saying, God, I can't see your face in this moment, in this darkness, in this struggle, but I've seen your hand. I've seen your hand move in my life. I've seen your hand draw me to you. I've seen your hand shape me and change me. I've seen your hand move lives around me. I've seen your hand bring hope through others. I've seen your hand paint the morning sky. I've seen your hand give me grace and mercy when I didn't deserve anything. I've seen your hand bring me hope in the middle of despair, joy in the middle of grief, and light in the middle of darkness. God, I can't see your face, but I've seen your hand, and that's enough to prove your goodness. That's enough to prove your faithfulness. That's enough to prove your steadfast love. And that's enough for me to praise you endlessly with my whole life. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we give you praise and we give you glory for who you are. You're the creator, you're the king, you're sovereign, you're omnipotent. You're everywhere at the same time. You are love, you are just, 
praise you for who you are. We praise you for what you've done and what you are doing. We praise you for redeeming the world, for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross, for saving us from our sins, for sanctifying us every moment of every day, for shaping and molding us more into the image of Christ, for including us in mission. We praise you for what you've done. We praise you for what you are doing and what you will do. We praise you that you are reconciling all things to yourself, that you are making all things new. That you are working on our behalf for our good and for your glory. We give you endless praise because you are worthy. In Jesus' precious name we pray.